Welcome to Center Ice. It is March 9th and a pleasure to be with you here today. I'm Mac Vincent, your host here with Matthew Maynard. And one of the things that we really haven't discussed a lot on this show, because it is controversial, is goaltender interference. And I think you, as well as I, don't understand what goaltender interference is anymore. It has become the NHL's fair catch rule. If you, if you watch football, you'll know that the big controversy in the NFL last season really was the fair catch rule because no one knew what a catch was. And the similarities between the two in terms of the controversy are striking because there were some plays where you'd say, okay, that looks like it would be not a catch, but then it turns out to be a catch. Or you see the opportunity... A touchdown pass where it's, you think that's going to be a catch, they overturn it. And I see, I've seen that a lot this season in the NHL. There are some plays where you're saying that probably will get overturned, and then it stands. Just look at the goal against the Bruins that the Leafs scored the other night. It looked like it was going to get overturned. It wasn't. The Leafs, I'm sure, as, as a Leafs fan, I'm sure you're happy about that, but it's, it was one of those plays where it really was up in the air, and I've, I've seen it all season. And I think at this point, whenever a coach basically throws the challenge flag and says, we're going to review that goal for goalie interference, no one knows what's going to happen. It's really, basically, you could flip a coin and you'd get the same result, basically, because no, there's no defined rule as to what goalie interference is. Absolutely. And I think the one thing that coaches are able to do much better now, and the video coach basically has the perfect angle for this, is challenge those offside calls. You know, when a goal is scored, now they have kind of the technology to challenge whether it was offside or not. And remember, last year, that was a bit of a mess. So credit to the NHL, they have cleaned that up. But let's be honest, we can't ease up on them too much because we are less than, you know, a month away from playoffs. And this is still going on every single game. And like you mentioned, they throw the challenge flag and they're just hoping for the best. It might be goaltender interference, but it's not defined well. We we don't know. I don't think even refs know what goaltender interference is. And I think, I don't know if it's going to happen before the playoffs. And I'm very concerned because... Can you imagine, picture this, let's say it's Stanley Cup Finals Game 7, and one of these goals goes in, and everybody's thinking it's goaltender interference, and the goal gets called a good goal, and the team wins, and they win the Cup. Can you imagine that reaction from that team? It would be... They um, would be, they would be happy, but then they'd also I mean, the be like... would be livid. Yeah, so... I, I just there's I only one sorry there's only one comparison at all that you could make to that and that's Dallas versus Buffalo game six it would be like that but I think it would be even worse because, oh absolutely especially because back then it not saying that it wasn't controversial but at that point you knew that that rule in the crease was repealed and I think that that goal would have gone in regardless. Plus, in the crease, he wasn't interfering with them. This no, because the rules were yeah, different back then. But the rule was in the crease. You can't be in the crease if but you're they not a goalie. That mid-season. Yeah, and we're not going to get into too much of a conversation about that. But the difference between those two is that a goalie interference one, the goalie would be interfered with, depending on which way you look at it. I think it would be even more of a. Uh, just it would be a big mess for the NHL. So I think I think one of the issues with the goaltender interference calls is you might see a player, especially let's say from the team that's getting scored on, check another player into the goalie. And because he does that, you know, it's not a good goal. For me, if I'm making a goaltender interference rule that's clear. Any goaltender interference that is in any way blatant that interferes with the goalie's ability to move across and stop the puck should be no goal. Anything. But the problem is 
now you've kind of opened up this can of worms where you see when bumps. you see yeah exactly and it happens all the time we know how fast the nhl is and we know how competitive these guys get you know patrick hornquist he's a guy that makes his living around the net but even a guy like him he knows he knows what goalie interference is he knows what he's supposed to and not supposed to do but it just seems like really it's every game i i don't i think if you look at a schedule of games on any particular night there's almost always a goaltender interference discussion at some point during the game you're exactly right and it's a tough it's going to be a tough rule to define because it's so broad you know to us on the television watching this hockey game a small bump may not seem like a big issue you and i would probably say oh he can make that save but when you walk but if you're, let's say, Henrik Lundqvist and you get bumped, that could make a difference on whether you make that save or not. And that's that's really the tough part on this. Yeah. So, I mean, like, Matt, what would you like to see the NHL do? What legislates goalie interference in your opinion? That's a, that's a really interesting question. And it's one that you and I are both going to have different answers on. And everyone will. But to me... Goalie interference in its most blatant form is if you are interfering with the goalie's ability to stop a goal. And I think that you have to set a limit to what is goalie interference. You could say, you know, a slight bump is not goalie interference. But I also think what you need to do, and I know goalies will not appreciate this, but I've noticed that more goalies don't play as deep anymore. I find that at least when I watch hockey, I find they play a bit more in front of the net, especially with all the crowding in front of the net nowadays. I think you need to say that if goalies on the edge of the crease or out of the crease, like a lot of goalies do, if you are bumped, sorry, you that is a goal regardless because you're taking a risk leaving the crease. And that kind of how it used to be, at least especially in beer league. When, when our goalie leaves the net, we won't blatantly go and hit him, but he knows it's a risk to leave the crease. And that's how it is in soccer, too. When you leave the crease, you, you, it's a risk. And I go, the goalies will challenge my point of view for sure. If that ever went up against the Board of Governors and the Players Association, etc., the goalies would challenge. But I think that's a fair rule, don't you? I mean, yeah, that that's a great idea. Now, now, where do you stand in terms of the war room and the officials making calls on goaltender interference? Do you feel like the refs should be able to make the calls on their own with the video, or should they just put it in the hands of the war room? I think they need to put it just in the hands of the war room, and that's it's one of the reasons why goal reviews, if it's on the line or not, are pretty good. Because it go, it goes to the war room where they have a much better screen. It's quiet. They have multiple opinions. They have multiple views, multiple screens. They aren't feeling the pressure that the ref is feeling with 18,000 plus fans waiting on the call while they're looking at a teeny little iPad. I think you get a better sense of what goalie interference is if you send it solely to the war room. Because I think the ref's job isn't to review goals. It, theirs is just to call it as they see it. Now, what if you what if you did something like, obviously you need to clearly define goaltender interference better because they haven't really. What if you did something like Brendan Shanahan used to do when he worked with the Department of Player Safety and you had some Twitter account where you tweeted out, this was a goal or this wasn't a goal because, and you had your explanation. Do you think that would clarify with fans and you know i guess media what goaltender interference is and what is and isn't allowed they it, as a matter of fact I, last i checked they still do they they'll give out an explanation for coaches challenges but they're generally found deep on the website of the nhl you have to go looking for them and i'll see if i can find them when we come up on the break mac and i'll get back to you on that but if last I checked, they do do a quick really? explanation. Really? But it's not like Brendan Shanahan where when a suspension was given out, remember, it could be up to a five-minute video. Of saying, he was so great at that job. Mm-hmm. And and that's another thing that I'd, I'd like to bring up. 
I don't feel like the Department of Player Safety is protecting the players enough. And I think Matt and I both have our issues with the NHL and the way it's ran for fans and rules and things like that. But for me, one of the things that ticks me off to no end has to be the Department of Player Safety because it's almost like the goaltender interference. <laughs> it's it's almost gotten to that point because a player can do something ridiculously bad like Alex Burroughs did and really get off with a pretty light punishment. For what he did, it was a really light punishment, especially for a repeat offender. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so let's get some quick thoughts in about the week that was just before we go to the break, Matt. Stadium series, I said this before we came on air, I thought the setup and the game itself was pretty good. I know as since you were a Leaf fan, you probably thought worst outdoor game ever, <laughs> but I thought it was great, especially the setup. I thought the opening was pretty good. I liked the curling. That was good with the game delivery. That was good. I didn't like that the lights went out, but hey, <laughs> it makes it unique. <laughs> gotta gotta make the NHL outdoor games unique nowadays. I thought the setup was tremendous. The event was tremendous. I'm gonna say this one time and one time only. The person who designed those Leafs jerseys needs to be fired. They were terrible. And somebody brought this up the other day that I heard. Can you imagine going to the dressing room and looking at yourself in the mirror wearing one of those jerseys? A, you're kind of struggling lately, and B, you're wearing. He looks just these. like the Michelin Man. It's uh, somebody said they look like the sanitation department. Like they were that bad. They were. And, and meanwhile, the like, Capitals jerseys were they, phenomenal. They were beautiful. They need to wear those a bit more because I like the red that the Capitals have, but I think a little bit of blue in there just adds to the charm that is the Washington Capitals. I, yeah, I think, like you said, you have to give a lot of credit to the Caps and, you know, making this idea work. Because if I was there, honestly, I wouldn't even care who won. Just to witness that event and that spectacle and the pregame ceremonies, with it was just fantastic. One more quick comment. Since I've attended an outdoor hockey game, wasn't NHL, but it was OHL. And let me just say, you don't go there for the view. You go there because it's such an outstanding experience. And if you haven't been to an outdoor game and if there's one coming to your area, go see one because it's outstanding. And honestly, the view wasn't too bad, especially at least in a football field. All right. Well, we'll be right back after this break. We're going to talk about the Vegas Golden Knights. What's going on with Vegas? Coming right up on Center Ice. Go. Welcome back to Center Ice. This is the March 9th edition. Let's get... Right into Vegas, because Vegas certainly has declined a little bit recently, and why do you think that is, Mac? Well, I think I think part of it was that they were on this just unbelievable roll, and everything was going right for them. And they were playing great. You have to give them credit. But everybody in the media and everybody in the NHL was like, how long is this going to last? Because... Most people did not believe that they were going to be, you know, top five in the West in the standings. And yes, they do have some injuries right now. But really, other than Marc-Andre Fleury and the backup goalies, they haven't really dealt with a lot of injuries this year. They've been pretty fortunate on that front. To me, it's it. they're kind of a fragile team right now because when everything is going so well for you and then you kind of really slow down like they have and you start to me they're they're looking a little lazy i think jonathan marchiso had a good quote the other day and he said you know we're being lazy we're not we're not playing with the energy we used to and we're relying too much on our goalie and mark andre fleury has been fantastic most of the year i don't think he should be in the vesna voting because he hasn't played enough games but you can't ask Marc-Andre Fleury to stand on his head every single night and expect that to happen, especially at his age. Plus, I think another thing that we thought about was the defense. At some point, teams are going to figure out. Because let's be honest, when you have Nate Schmidt on your top pair, most teams should be able to get around him, right? 
And I think that's what's starting to happen. Now, you brought up a point about maybe Vegas made the wrong move bringing in Thomas Tatar. I think they did. And I think that if you're Vegas, Thomas Tatar is a good player. Don't get me wrong. I think they paid a bit too much for them. But the way I always saw Vegas during this outstanding run, and they're going to make the playoffs barring an epic collapse, but the way I always saw them this season is that you should, for the most part, I gave uh, McPhee credit for it, but I was surprised the move, with the moves he made on deadline day because I thought that, sure, you're going to win this season, but what about next season and the season after? You're still the newest team in the NHL. You've still got to build for the future. And I think giving up those picks was not the right move because now you don't have that first-round pick that you might need or that second-round pick or that third-round pick. And especially nowadays in the NHL draft, those late-round picks are the ones that you build teams with. Don't get me wrong. First-round picks are huge. But when you start to get into the second, third, fourth, fifth, so on, those are the moves that build your Stanley Cup contending team. And I think that Vegas is trying to go all-in too early. And I've brought up the sentence last year, of last year before, but I think it's just the best perfect the most recent perfect example of the risk of going all in with what's happened this season because you you build to go all in on one year but you don't think about the future and in the NHL nowadays I think championship windows are going to get shorter and shorter but if you want to contend for three four years you need to you can't go all in on one year you have to have that sustained success and you can't sell off your future that's the big thing you cannot sell off that future. And I think Vegas has sold off a little bit of it, especially if we see them go on the decline next year, which, based on their success this year, is going to be hard to match next year, even if they make the playoffs. Right. I mean, how many goals does William Carlson have? A lot. <laughs> There's no way that we can say for sure, okay, William Carlson is a 30-40 to 40 goal scorer because we really don't know. And, I mean, the one thing that you can say about Vegas is, yes, they did go after Thomas Tatar, but they didn't really give up a ton for other players that were on the market. I mean, look at what uh, Tampa Bay got. Sorry, Tampa Bay gave up to get Ryan McDonough. I mean, that's an example of a move that they moved a considerable amount of pieces there and they got kind of some veteran-type players that they feel can help them win a Stanley Cup. But Vladi Nemestikov's a real good player, and he's been really good for them. And, you know, and another example is Ryan Spooner for Rick Nash. Ryan Spooner, another real good young player. So, yes, they did give up draft picks, but I think kind of the conversation that happened is Vegas kind of observed, okay, what are the prices here? What are the prices on the trade market? And eventually they figured out that Eric Carlson wasn't coming their way until, you know, maybe in the summer. Who knows? We don't even know at this point. But apparently they were the team that was most in on Eric Carlson. So you would have to believe that they weren't just calling the Sens and they weren't just calling the Red Wings. They were probably calling everybody. Because the owner wants to win. McPhee wants to win. They're having a great year. And you sometimes you just never know. So I can understand why they made that move. But at the same time, like you said, we haven't really seen Vegas uh, scouting staff at work yet. We haven't seen them do like a full draft for the second time. And one draft, I would say their first draft was pretty good. But, you know, it takes three, four years to evaluate a draft. And what we're looking at right now with their prospects, sorry, man, is that I think they've got they've got some good prospects. You're right. I mean, you know, a Nick Suzuki, a Glass, those are good prospects. But as you said, three, four years down the line, how will they look? A lot of players look really good juniors, but it's hard to transition from junior or AHL to the NHL. It's really tough. Yeah. So that that's kind of our spiel on Vegas because – even when we talk to Ken Volke, and we can't thank him enough for coming on our show, 
sometimes you tend to get a little carried away with things. You know, Ken was saying things like, hey, they have a really good chance to get to the Stanley Cup. And we were both saying, well, uh, you know, I, I don't know about that. I guess the question now is, can they get out of the first round? They'd be facing off against Dallas, I believe, if the playoffs started today. I'll confirm that with you, Mac. But I believe that's right. And I don't Dallas, think it's changed. I'm not sold on Dallas. They could probably beat Dallas. But past that, I, I don't see it. Yeah, I really they, don't. They'd face off against Dallas. And let's say they get to the second round. You now face a very strong <laughs> San Jose Sharks team or a very strong Anaheim Ducks team because those two would match up in the first round. And, and the other thing, the other thing that we should bring up is William Carlson and Jonathan Marcheseau and Riley Smith are going to get Brent Burns and Vlasic, and they're going to get you know Klingberg, and they're going to get the top shutdown lines and shutdown pairs. And they're going to get defensive attention that they haven't really seen in the regular season. And for me, I don't think you can rely on your bottom six if you're Vegas right now. I believe in the top line, but at the same time, when playoffs come around, it's going to be awfully hard to produce at the rate that they have in the regular season. And we see it time and time again. Last year, Nashville recognized that it probably wasn't a great idea to have Victor Arvidsson in such a primary role come in the playoffs. So they said, okay, let's go get Kyle Turris. You know, let's sign Mike Fisher. And now they have the depth. Whereas before, really, if one line got injured, they were toast. And speaking of Nashville, we'll talk about them a bit later. But I think Matt and I both feel that Vegas might win around, but that would probably be it, in my opinion. And let's not forget that a lot of these guys don't have a whole lot of playoff experience. Someone like Marc-Andre Fleury has a ton of playoff experience, which will, would help. But really, if you ask any NHL player that's played in a few playoffs, they will tell you that the NHL playoffs are completely different from anything you'll experience in the regular season. It is a different beast. It is so hard to win in the playoffs. And everything just gets amped up to 11 in the playoffs. Harder hits, harder shots. It, no one's going to give an inch because everyone's after that one goal, the Stanley Cup. And I don't know if Vegas has, has the experience or the grit really to get through four rounds of Stanley Cup playoffs. Now, mind you, remember Nashville surprised us last year. Not Vegas, pardon me, could surprise us. And they could go to the Stanley Cup final for all we know. I don't see it happening with a Winnipeg or a Nashville in that they have to go through one of them to get to the final. And I don't see it happen if they got that far. And then they'd have to face off against a Tampa Bay type team or a Boston or let's say Toronto of all teams. I don't know if they could take one of those teams in a seven game series. Yeah. So it'll be really interesting what happens with Vegas. I don't expect them to, I think they're, four and six in their last 10 games something along those lines i don't have the exact number five, four, in front of me five four and one that's not very good for vegas standards i don't expect them to completely fall off like you mentioned they're still going to make the playoffs they're still a good team but this was expected at some point and i guess the only thing that vegas is probably thinking is okay why now like this is the worst time for this to happen right you want momentum going into those playoffs, not, I mean, they're basically, it, it seems like. They're coasting to the playoffs right now. Yeah. And uh, we have a lot of teams to talk about today. Like we want to talk about in the next segment, what's going on with the New York Islanders? Should Gar Snow be out as general manager? How about the Carolina Hurricanes? A new owner, Ron Francis, is out as GM and he's in as president of hockey operations, whatever that means. And let's not forget that we've still got a lot of teams, at least in the West, and even a few in the East, on the playoff bubble. Where do you go? What do you do? Are you going to make it? What do you have to do? And what about what about the Florida Panthers? On fire. 
I, Matt and I have both been critical of the Panthers, but we both believed that their top-end guys are very good players, like Jonathan Huberdeau, Vincent Trocek, Alex Barkov, etc. But it just seems like during this run, they kind of tinker with the lines a little bit, and it seems like they're finally starting to play to their potential. Roberto Luongo is healthy. He hasn't been healthy very often the last couple years. And honestly, it's fun to watch. When I saw them take on Tampa Bay the other night, I mean, they were right there with Tampa Bay. They lost in overtime, but they easily could have won. So the Panthers are emerging as kind of a, I guess, a sleeper team because they're getting hot at the right time. And we'll see if it continues. I mean, you have to give them credit. I don't think it's just buying into the coach's system. I think they bought into the coach system a while ago. I think it was just a matter of time before they really started to get rolling. Anyway, we'll be back right after this break to talk about more teams. So many teams to talk about on this Friday. Thanks for staying with us. We'll be back right after this break. Welcome back to Center Ice. Happy Friday. And we got to keep talking about teams because there's just so many teams we can talk about today. And let's get right back into it with the Florida Panthers. Let's start with the highs of the league right now. The Florida Panthers are on one heck of a roll. They're only two points out of the playoffs. And for most of the season, as you and I have previously mentioned, we haven't given them credit for what they've done. They've really turned it around, and now they there's a chance they could face off against Tampa in round one if they make the playoffs. And as you said in the last segment, Tampa and Florida were a, were a great matchup. Florida was in it most of the way. In fact, all the way. And they could have easily won that game. And I think Florida is one. Florida, if they make the playoffs and they keep playing the way they are, I think they'll be that sleeper team. There's always one in the playoffs where you don't expect them to go very far. But then they go on a deep playoff run and surprise everyone. Do yeah. you think that's fair to say? Florida, your sleeper team, if they make it? I mean, absolutely. Because if you look across kind of the West and the East. I don't think anybody's going to be surprised by like a New Jersey or Columbus or, you know, Dallas. Like these teams aren't necessarily going to surprise anybody. But remember, we've been talking about the Florida Panthers as kind of a bottom 10 team for the majority of the year. And it's only been the last kind of month or so where they've just absolutely caught fire. And, the other crazy thing about the Panthers is they have games in hand on the Devils and Blue Jackets. So three, that's a lot of games. And I don't know. I mean, the way they're playing right now, and I heard something about them having a favorable schedule. I believe that they have one of the most favorable schedules the rest of the season. So the odds of them making it in are pretty good. And they're, like you said, they're a dangerous team. Like Aaron Ekblad seems to have raised his game. Keith Yandel, we know how good Alex Barkov is. Luongo's Luongo's healthy and playing well. This is good to see. And this is also good for Florida hockey as a a whole. Because for years, Florida has kind of been that forgotten team in the South. And now, hopefully, with the exception of the one year in 2015, I believe it was, they were, they've been in the basement. And now we're, I think we're starting to see glimpse, glimpses of that team we saw in 2015, which can go out and win hockey games. They're a hardworking team. They're a fast team. They're a high-scoring team, and they're a fun team to watch, especially when everyone's healthy right now. Florida is going to be scary if they keep it up. Yeah, and like you mentioned, they haven't really got a lot of credit because they're kind of the other Florida team. And let's be honest, Sunrise, Florida-wise, is kind of in the middle of nowhere. So it is kind of a pain for people to get to the arena. And a lot of these players, because they play with the Florida Panthers, they're not as well-known as they should be around the league. Somebody like a Vincent Trocek, I've mentioned him before, he's a really darn good player. If you told somebody that he has almost 30 goals this year, they'd be like, what? Who's Vincent Trocek? Probably your average hockey fan. But I think 
like you mentioned, if they make it into the playoffs, this is a chance for some of those guys to really start to be a little more appreciated by kind of the national audience, right? Because these games are going to be on national TV and you're going to get the airtime that a Tampa Bay would normally get, something like that. So, for example, I've mentioned Barkov so many times. For me, he's top three in Selkie voting right now. I think he should absolutely be up there. I don't know if he'll win it, but I think he should definitely be I up definitely there. I definitely think you put him in the conversation. There's no reason why you can't. You shouldn't put him in the conversation. He's had a great season. And I think one of the issues is back on the – the fact that Florida's forgotten is that Tampa has been so good the past few years. Yeah. And they have the superstar names. Mm-hmm. And not that not that Florida does not have superstars, but compared to a Tampa, they yeah. Yeah. they don't really have the big household names. And I th- I think that's part of the culture in Florida is that, you know, we don't we may not have the big names, but it doesn't mean that we can't go out and take down the big names. And I think that's part of the thing the culture that's going on in Florida is that this is South Florida and we're going to go and make, make some noise, which is good. And the one thing that I will say is we've often criticized Dale Talon and Panthers management for letting March so and Smith go. But now that you see the production you're getting from Huberto, Bugstad, Evgeny Dadanov has been a terrific signing Sure, it's still not great, but maybe maybe somewhere internally he was thinking, I don't know if I want to pay Marcheseau $5.5 million a year. And the same thing with like a Riley Smith. Maybe he felt that Dadanov was going to be pretty good and that Bukestad was going to continue to score goals. We, we don't know, but that it's possible that that's the conversation that went on. I think... Going back, he would still rather protect one of those guys than a defenseman. But, you know, lesson learned. So let's head north a little bit. Let's let's go talk about the Carolina Hurricanes and what's been going on off the ice. Yeah. Particularly in the front office uh, because Ron Francis, no longer GM. And it was a move that kind of surprised everyone, especially because of the timing. It just happened out of nowhere. And now the question is, who will be the Carolina Hurricanes GM? Who do you think it will be, Mac? Uh I mean, I don't. I think they're they're gonna do their due diligence around the league. One guy that always seems to come up in GM searches is the assistant general manager with the LA Kings, Mike Fuda, and rightfully so. He's done he's done a great job with them, but I think. Part, part of the issue here is that this new owner that has come in seems to be actually willing to spend money on the team, and he wants to bring in his people, right? So I would imagine what's going on is he's talking with the staff, and he's talking with people around the league, and he's doing his research because he really seems like the type of owner that wants to bring a winning team to Carolina. And let's face it, they haven't had a winning team since they won the Cup. They just haven't. And I think they would love to have Eric Stahl back because Eric Stahl was the face of their franchise, and he did have kind of a down year or two, but since then he's been terrific, especially for the Minnesota Wild. But I think one thing that you can say about Ron Francis is that maybe he was a little too cautious as a GM. Because really, the only big move he made was signing Scott Darling. And that says something. I mean, look back at his drafts. Remember when he drafted Elias Lindholm? Elias Lindholm's a good player. But if you look at the players that were available in that draft, not a good draft pick. And they've made some good moves, like Tevo Taravainen. I like that move. But the rest of the team, to me definitely needs to be improved. And I think, I don't know if they should have signed Justin Williams in the offseason or Scott Darling. You know, maybe you were better off doing something else. I mean, you've seen other teams succeed with kind of low-budget signings. So I'm really interested to see what happens with Carolina. but And what happens with that defense? Because we know how good the defense is. But at some point, if you need a forward, 
you have to give to get. And it seems to me like the guy that will probably be on the block is Justin Falk. And Justin Falk is your is a solid top four defenseman. But if you can get a top six forward that, you know, maybe he's young or maybe he's in his prime, I think you go for it. So let's head north of the border now. Calgary is in a bit of an interesting situation. Mike Smith will be returning soon. They're here in Ottawa tonight, and they're three points out of a playoff spot. And they only have to technically leapfrog one team to really get into the playoffs because Colorado is a point in front of them. And then you've got L.A., Dallas. And those teams are within striking distance. And Calgary is an interesting team because for the past few years, it's been the same story, goaltending. And not in a bad way this year. But it's become, once again, the story of Calgary because Mike Smith was out with injuries. And I don't know if you saw the highlights of that game in Pittsburgh, but oh man, it was shaky. It was uh, not just... Not just the goaltending. The, the team as a whole, yeah. defensively. The Calgary Flames are a really interesting team because every year they're everybody's kind of sleeper pick. They're like, nobody talks about the Calgary Flames. They have Johnny Gaudreau, Sean Monaghan, etc. And remember, they made a big move in the offseason to acquire Travis Hamanick to be that kind of top four heavy minutes defender. And he's been terrible. It really is. There's, hasn't there's no sugarcoating that. I mean, they would love to have that move back. At Calgary, for the past few years, at least as, and as long as I can remember, to, for, back to Jerome Aginla, Calgary has been that offensive team. And I think Calgary misses Jerome Aginla to an extent. And I've heard, I heard rumors before the trade deadline that they were considering bringing Jerome Aginla back in some form, not as a player, but, you know, off ice. And I think that's a great idea because Jerome McGinley said that will bring that veteran presence to a room and he'll, he'll do basically what Danny Alfredson did when he came back to work for Ottawa. They had him in a different role, but we all know the reason why he was there. And I think it would be a good move for Calgary because when you look at Calgary, they're still a relatively young team. And I think... The big issue is can they solve that defense and that backup goaltending situation because no one will doubt their offensive presence. But I think if they can get a bit more defensive focus, I think Calgary is a team that could really contend one day. Yeah, absolutely. But, I mean, the other issue is we've t- I've talked about Hamannick and their defense. The bottom six forwards for Calgary have been an absolute disaster this year. I mean, Sam Bennett has not been very good at all. Christopher Stieg, like, they tried Yager. That didn't work out. Really, other than the top line and maybe the second line, they just haven't had production at all. Michael Furland's been injured. I think Michael Furland's a pretty important guy for them, just in general, on the ice and off the ice. So... I mean, I think the issue with Calgary that they've kind of run into is they've got these two really good goalie prospects, John Gillies and Parsons. So they didn't really want to go after maybe like a Marc-Andre Fleury because I, I, I would imagine they had an opportunity to do that unless it was kind of predetermined he went to Vegas. We We don't really know, but I think at some point – they probably could have put a call in on him. And the other issue is, like I said, they have these two goalie prospects. But with goalie prospects, you never really know when they're going to be ready and if they're going to contribute at the NHL level. So they didn't really want to dive into a big goalie move. So that's where the Mike Smith move comes from. Anyway, we'll be right back to talk more on Center Ice. Go ahead. Welcome back to Center Ice. And thanks again for joining us. So much to talk about on this Friday. And now let's talk about the New York Islanders. Such a fascinating team and one that's really been kind of in the storylines pretty much all year. And they did have a nice little run where they were close to a playoff spot. John Tavares has been terrific most of the season. Matthew Barzell probably walking away with rookie of the year at this point because of Brock Besser's injury. But also, he's just been the best rookie, and 
there's not much dispute in that. But so many issues with the Islanders. Goaltending. What can you expect from probably the worst goaltending tandem in the league, realistically? Ownership issues. General manager issues. They John did Tavares. get a new arena. John Tavares has not signed an extension. Tavares now let's let's Toronto let's confirmed. turn right to that. <laughs> Does he have enough reason to stay with the Islanders? We thought we thought when they got the new arena and they were playing well, okay, maybe. But now I, I really don't know. I think there's probably a reason he hasn't signed on yet. As I said a moment ago, Toronto is going to be all over John Tavares. Oh, absolutely the will. they will. And I don't, they will be. And I don't Almost think every so. team that has cap space will be all over John Tavares because he's just such a good player. I don't see him signing in New York. And it's going to be weird if he leaves because John Tavares is that player that's really built that Islanders team. Yep. Every, it's like Eric Carlson in the centers. Everything goes through, goes through Tavares. And there's a reason, because he's such a good player. But if I'm John Tavares, first off, I'm still playing in Brooklyn for another year. And I, I, I've never been to Brooklyn. I won't bash Brooklyn for anything. But if you've seen any games in Brooklyn the past few seasons, the attendance hasn't been the greatest because it's far from their core fan base. The arena itself, as much as it's great for basketball, it is not a hockey rink. So... And I've heard the ice is been, is notoriously bad there. I'll have to see if it's true or not, but I'll check. But it's what I've heard. Hey, it, so so what's what's the deal with that car in the rink? <laughs> like, well, it, do, can you win the car? Does the car come out on the ice? Why is it even there? Do you come with the car? <laughs> <laughs> if you don't get the reference, we're talking Simpsons. <laughs> because off the show, Mac and I are like the biggest Simpsons fans. And pretty much after every class, we're watching Simpsons clips. Mm. And that's one of our favorites. It, you can just reference it in so many ways in so many different mm. situations. And yeah. it just came up here. Yeah. But is that car, does it have a, does it have puck-proof glass? Because that plexiglass shatters easier than you think. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But that just bothers the heck out of it's me. It's a European thing. It really It's a minor hockey and European thing. Mm. And the Sens did it last year, too. I don't know how many Sens games you got to watch last year, but they raised like, they raised this Ram truck up into the 200 level. It was pretty impressive, actually. But it was kind of <laughs> it was a bit of an eyesore. But however, it is good money. Let's not deny that. Anyways, back onto the ice and off the ice. Sure, you have that new rink, and it looks gorgeous on the concept designs. But I don't see Tavares staying because you've got Snow who is notorious for many reasons mm. and you've got horrible ownership and I don't think Tavares wants to be part of that mess I think one thing that Islanders fans would love to see if Tavares goes or if he doesn't go either way is just a brand new front office I don't think and we've talked about Melnick out Islanders fans have been vocal about Garth Snow since the beginning. And there's billboards up in New York saying snow must go. Like, they are not fooling around. And, like, let's be honest. Let's look at his track record. Rick DiPietro. That didn't, that didn't work out too well, did it? No. I mean, it, it went all right for a couple games. <laughs> but it's... You know, there's so many things that he could have done better, and the team just isn't good enough right now. And with all the draft picks and young players that they've accumulated over the years, it's just not good enough. And if he was a quality NHL GM, they would be a pretty darn good team right now. But there's way too many hit and misses with Gar Snow, and there's way too many questionable contracts. That Andrew Ladd contract is terrible. Nobody, you're never going to be able to trade that contract to any team. You are stuck with Andrew Ladd unless you buy him out at this point. I think he makes six million a year. Is that is that true? Yeah, it's, it's almost as bad as the Lucic it, deal. It's almost, but when, <laughs> when, at this point, let, quick off topic: which one is worse, the Lucic or the Ladd deal? Oh man, that's tough. I I don't know. 
I would say Lucic, but I, I you could go with either one. You honestly. could. You really could. It's it's kind of like the Dion Phaneuf issue in Ottawa, and there's a I give Pierre Dorian credit for making that move. It wasn't an easy move to make. And sure, you took on Gabrick's contract, but still, you got it moved. I don't know if someone like Garth Snow could make that type of move, or Shirelli. I don't know if they could make that move. I really don't. Because to move big contracts like that, you have to... There's a lot of finer details you have to move. There's a lot of retained salary and little contracts going one way and little contracts going the other. It's always... Super complex when you move big contracts, and as you said, I don't think it's happening. Five point five million for Andrew Ladd until twenty twenty three. What a contract! What a beautiful <laughs> contract. And the other, the other thing is, Josh Bailey signed on for five a year, and I like Josh Bailey, but what does John Josh Bailey look like without John Tavares? Because Matthew Barzell and John Tavares are different players. And I, I think I think the world of Matthew Barzell, and I think the Islanders have some good things going on there. But I, I think it is time, and I think as much as Ottawa needs an ownership change or just an owner that cares more about the team, I would argue that the Islanders have needed this GM change for even longer, and fans have been asking for it. This isn't, this isn't something new. Every year it comes up. So... I think that it's time, and I don't see them making the playoffs this year. Do you? No, and the thing I've noticed under Garth Snow in particular, and it's very similar to Ottawa, is they're a very streaky team. One year they'll have a great season, next year they won't. One Next year they will, next year they won't. And that's not the way you want to keep players or fans around nowadays. It doesn't. It's great to make the playoffs one year, but... Then you don't do a whole lot, and then you go on to the next one. All right, all right I got another one for you. Johnny Boychuk, six mil till 2022. Woo! Oh, man. <laughs> I mean, I, I can't make these things up. Like No, the, the jokes are writing themselves today. <laughs> <laughs> so let, let's, let's move on. Otherwise, we're going to be joking about Islanders contracts for the rest of the show. Let's, let's get on to our top five, bottom five this week. All right, so so we're, we're going to do a brand new thing on this show, and, and it's called The Bottomless Pit. And The Bottomless Pit always starts with Edmonton, Buffalo, and Vancouver. We've had them in our bottom five, I think, since October. Never changed. And some shows, we do put other teams in there because they're on a really bad run, but they're always there. So that's our bottomless pit. It's the bottomless pit. Hashtag fallen for Dolan. <laughs> now, fallen. now the other team that's in the race for Dolan, we've got Ottawa Senators on the me. higher end of our bottom five. And also Vegas. We talked about it earlier in the show. We, we aren't thrilled with Vegas. And there, were, there are teams that have worse last 10 games played and worse weeks. But just... Overall quality of hockey that we've seen from them has not been good. And you may notice that there is one team that is not on our bottom five this week that's almost that is usually part of that bottomless pit of doom. <laughs> <laughs> and that would be the Arizona Coyotes. Let's give them a round of applause. <laughs> give them credit. Let's let's give them credit. Seven, two, and one in their last ten games. And they haven't played the toughest team, but they've remember they had that great comeback against Minnesota. They've they've played good hockey, so let's give them credit. Yeah, not absolutely. Good Considering their ranking in the standings, they're not going to be in our top five this week. But if they let's say if they were in a position like Florida, if they were in in the same standing area as Florida, Carolina, teams like Calgary, they'd be in our top five. But since they're Dead last in the league, I believe. Let's. I believe they're still dead last. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But they're still part of that pit of doom. Don't make any mistake that they're off the list this week. <laughs> but the one thing that is a positive about Arizona compared to those other teams, 
zero cap issues whatsoever. Lots of cap flexibility, lots of good young players. So there's that. That that's a very good thing to have in the NHL today. So let's let's get on to the top 5. Number 1, they're absolutely on fire right now. Matt, take it away. Let's give it away for the Nashville Predators. 10 0 and 0 in their last 10. Their record speaks for themselves. If I just said Nashville Predators 10 0 and 0, we could leave it there. But what is it about the Nashville Predators that impresses you and I so much, Mac? I, j- I think it's just, first of all, they've got a great coach. I think the management there is top-notch. David Poyle is the winningest GM in NHL history. That's quite the accomplishment for David Poyle. And also just the depth. We know how good their defense is, but now they have Kyle Turris. And now they have players that you can rely on beyond that top line. So, plus Pecorine has been... Unbelievable. I believe he's 18-1-1 in his last 20, and he's catching up on the NHL save percentage lead, which is just unbelievable. No team, no team wants to face Nashville, even Winnipeg. Nashville is the best team in the league right now. A lot of things can change. Things can change come playoffs, but, man, they don't look like they're going to lose another game at this rate. And remember, at the during our deadline show, we... We knew Nashville was going to be good, but we were still a little so-so on their moves and stuff. We still thought Winnipeg was the better team, and Winnipeg can still find a, can still leapfrog them. Don't get us wrong. But as of right now, Nashville is the better team. All right, next up we have the Tampa Bay Lightning. Still a very good team, but falling off a little bit lately. And following them, the Winnipeg Jets, Nashville's closest competition in the West. And how about those Florida Panthers? They are on fire. They've made it into our top five at number four. And rounding out the list, we have the Minnesota Wild. Nice little story Minnesota is, kind of like Florida. They were out of it, and now they're back in it, and it looks like they're pretty good for a playoff spot. But anyway, that's going to do it for the show today. Thanks for joining us. Find us on iTunes under Center Ice in podcasts. Find us on SoundCloud. Follow us on Twitter at Center Ice Radio. I'm Mac Vincent here with Matthew Maynard.